tis the season to be jolly and joyous. Blah, blah, blah. To spread the news about peace and to keep, keep us alive. alive. <laughs> Kermit D. Frog here. <laughs> That's right. We're back, baby. And we're doing a retroactive Christmas special. New year. <laughs> New us. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Let's close up for Christmas. Hmm. <laughs> we're like... nailing the impression. <laughs> Dead as a door nailing it. Hey! Nice job. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of 2022. This is Film is Lit, the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. My name is Danny. I'm the self-appointed film expert. My name is Laura, she, her, and I am the self-appointed literature expert. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Danny and Laura, why are you doing a Christmas episode in January? Christmas has passed. Well, we had planned to do this for our Christmas episode, but then we had a magnificent episode with Ryan Burns on The Green Knight, and that's a Christmas movie. It's also a New Year's movie, and that was like a two-hour opus. <laughs> so editing that took a while, and we released that around Christmas time. And then we wanted to record this one, but we didn't get around to it with that other episode. We were just having too much fun during the holidays. Yes, and then we were going to do this as soon as we got back from Massachusetts. We went there for Christmas. So as soon as we got back, we were going to record this. But then we were hit, both of us were hit with an insane stomach bug. I haven't had a stomach bug since I was a little kid. I don't even think I got that. Well, and we were both fully vaccinated, not only COVID, but flu, and something just hit us, and we ended up basically cycling for, f- cycling through th- vomit sessions yes, for and, a week. And other sessions. I'll leave it at that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was nasty. I'm like, would COVID be better? Moving on. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but we have been looking forward to this episode i think for two years because i'm pretty sure that this was slated for last year christmas as well and then we got too busy it didn't happen it's just the holidays are just busy and we're usually traveling and so and we released a, a few episodes in december like we were still on no it. we did but every time we have a plan to record this one and have it ready for the 24th or 25th, yeah. we just get busy. Things happen. So I really wanted to dive into this adaptation because it might be my number one favorite movie of all time. <laughs> okay, this is a thing with Laura. I love this movie too. And this is a first time watch Jane for me. you never seen this movie. If you could believe that or not. But with Laura, this is a thing... I make fun of her for it because I'm a big goofball. I'm sure but, we've talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, but after she finishes a movie, she turns to me and goes, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Or when you watch a classic, she goes, this is my favorite movie. I'm like, wait a second, didn't we just watch your favorite movie? <laughs> Whatever. She's like, yes, the, but this the, is also my favorite. But but I don't know if I have as long a history with any other movie other than this one. Except for maybe Totoro. I probably saw Totoro about the same time as I saw this for the first time. But we haven't even introduced the movie and book adaptation that we're talking about yet. So today we're going to cover A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And it's best adaptation out there. A Muppet Christmas Carol. 
I agree with that. Yeah. A Muppet Christmas Girl came out in 1992, directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim Henson, the one of the co-creators of The Muppets. Yeah. And this is Brian Henson's directorial debut. And it is an incredible debut. It's great. Thank you for my entire childhood, Sir Brian Benson. Brian Benson. Sir Brian Henson. He's not a real sir. But I love this movie, and it only gets better with age. The layering of humor and touching moments in this movie, endless. And not only endless, but also timeless. Totally agree. This is pretty obvious for anyone who has seen The Muppets, but it's funny for all ages, right? It's Our assets know, are frozen. It's clean. That's yes. a quote. <laughs> it's clean humor. Kermit the Frog and what? Rizzo the Rat. Rizzo the Rat. Gonzo. Gonzo's playing Charles Dickens. Uh, Miss Piggy is playing Mrs. Cratchit. But She's hilarious. They're just funny characters. The voices are funny and the yeah. puppets are funny. I yeah. mean, it's a very simple when you break it down. But then the crowning jewel of this magnificent movie is Michael Caine. Sir, my, well, you say sir in front of Michael Caine. Is he really a sir? Yes. That's funny because I called Sir Brian Hanson and yeah. he's not really a sir. Michael Caine. He... There's a ruby the size of a tangerine. That's a, that's a different movie. The say bandit. Ba, say Bah Humbug. I'm Michael Caine. Bah Humbug. Some men just want to watch War <laughs> quoting the wrong movie he's got so many quotes in here quote this movie i've buried enough members of the wayne family and i master wayne i was telling you i no this is a great (laughs) and scene we gotta get back on track we're honestly i think current the frog and michael Caine are my two strongest impressions (laughs) and they both are in this movie so that's pretty funny well I don't know. We can dive into it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, so when did uh, when did Charles Dickens write The Christmas Carol? This came out in 1843. And oh. I don't know how many people know this, but this is not his only Christmas story. He's got a collection of short Christmas stories. Oh, out I, there. I had no idea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's not the other ones aren't as super well known. This is obviously his classic, but The reason that I think that this has been around for so long is because of obviously it's humor. The short story is hilarious. And I think that's why this adaptation flows so easily because the Muppets are obviously a vehicle for that humor. And I think the tone that Charles Dickens is going for, they're they're a perfect vehicle to sort of shuttle that into this movie. Whereas I think a lot of other adaptations take it very seriously. And it does talk about serious themes, but I think that, again, like the most touching thing about it is how funny the narrator is. Like that's what makes it so accessible. And even though it's a Christmas story, it's not necessarily an overtly religious Christmas story. And I think that's the other reason why it's so long enduring. There's Mm -hmm. stuff in here for everybody. The, The only other thing that I wanted to point out specifically is that if you're interested in experiencing this story but not necessarily reading it jim dale does a great audiobook of it and i've read the book a couple times but hearing jim dale read it is 
just a lovely experience. I love his voice. I actually listened to this story. I'd read it before a few times growing up, but for this episode, I listened to the audiobook. Uh, it was read by Tim Curry. Oh, that's Rocky fun too. Horror Picture Show fame and Clue fame. Everyone knows him. Tim Curry, but uh, yeah, he he was great as well. He read it with a certain his Tim Curry signature pizzazz. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Grant also reads a version of it as oh, well. Oh, that's fun. Um, I didn't listen to that one, but who doesn't love Hugh Grant? Am I right? We were just talking about him earlier. Yeah. 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 So I had a great experience with it. Yeah. My overall journey with this story is I grew up hearing it and i think i was in fifth grade when a one-man show came to my church uh, first congregational church in downtown westfield on the green and he was doing a few performances but right before christmas and i went with my uh, best friend frank fay one of my best friends and we sat in the front row and i remember just being absolutely blown away by his performance i don't think it was the full story or play but it was a one-man show, did all the parts, the Christmas story condensed, and I'll always remember that. It truly was special, but he leaned more into the serious drama side of the story. Right. I'd never seen a comedic take of it. The Muppets, not a big part of the Gaylord family. That's for so some funny to me. Reason. I don't, my parents didn't intentionally deprive me of it. I just don't think I... It just wasn't in rotation at the household. Sure. We had... You know, Sesame Street when we were younger and, and Barney when we were younger and then Power Rangers and uh, all those staples of our generation of kids. But this never made it into the rotation, nor did the other Muppets movies. And then it kind of turned into one of those things where it wasn't a challenge for me not to see this movie, but growing up, everyone talked about this. Everyone loved this. And this really? was, it kind of was something i held is like well i've never i've never seen it and that makes me different and edgy and cool because i but it doesn't I, because it, this is the best movie. right it doesn't <laughs> well die hard's the best christmas movie and that it's a christmas movie let's not debate that anyways agree to disagree this is the best christmas movie. well you love die well do you agree that die hard rips yes but this is like this is such a special place. It's something heart. special. I can see, I, because I wish I had nostalgia attached to it. That's how I feel about The Princess Bride. I didn't watch that growing up either. Right. So when we watched it for the podcast, I'm like, cute movie, but there's nothing deeper, at least in my view, that makes it this amazing <laughs> movie. I, like, it's funny and cute, but, and, and quotable, but I mean. I get it. So what? So I had that attitude going in. And we watched this, I think, right before you left for Massachusetts. You went a couple, few days before me. I, it, wonderful. It, hilarious movie. It flies by. It's only 80-something minutes. If it was longer, it would be too much. And in fact, it was originally a song longer. And right. They, they cut it out. There's a theatrical cut and yeah. a re-release cut. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I, it's, it's the perfect length. It truly is a family-friendly movie enjoyable for all ages loved it I, it's my favorite rendition of the story outside of the live one man play that i saw sure. when i was in fifth grade i feel like i'm getting choked up thinking about my journey yeah oh, she actually is <laughs> need a tissue all right you got snot rolling down here this is gross thank god podcast is audio medium all right deep breaths 
another swig of the beer, maybe, <laughs> and you're on. A singular tear rolls down her face. Stop. Yeah, a- so. and she's back. <laughs> so, yeah, no, the reason I get emotional is because my brother and I always watch this movie together, and we always quote it. Mm-hmm. And he just moved to DC, so. <laughs> Start a new chapter of his life, grad school. We're all extremely proud of you, Robin. I'm I'm not being sarcastic. I'm genuinely I'm genuinely proud of him. It's funny, you know, I'm such a jokester whenever I try to get genuine people laugh and it's like, no, I'm I'm actually trying to connect connect with you and they're like, ha 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 Yeah. So anyway, yes, we're very proud of Robin, but he's not living in California anymore. So anyway, my brother and I have watched this for, I don't know, every single year since we were two. <laughs> yeah. Or since I was four and he was zero. So. Out of the womb. <laughs> watching the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, we know this movie line for line, song for song. <laughs> and I just, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, there's no truer adaptation that's as true to the tone that I think that Charles Dickens was trying to insert in his into his writing. And I think Charles Dickens is a really funny writer. And so I think it's such a shame that that gets lost in a lot of really serious takes of this play slash story slash movie. Because he, he just has that dry English humor. You know, in the preface even, it's so sweet. He says, may it haunt your house pleasantly. Yeah. Isn't that just such a, like, it's such a lighthearted tone. And so I think that this movie just perfectly captures that. That's my journey. <laughs> I'll always watch this movie. Nice. All right. So let's get into some of the differences between the source material and the film. So correct me if I'm wrong. There are no Muppets in the original <laughs> story, correct? That's right. Could have sworn there was a frog or something in there. But okay, so no Muppets the obvious out of the way but a similarity is that the stories do have this kind of omnipresent narrator to bo- to bookend Ebenezer's story but the difference here and I think the real what makes the movie so accessible and fun is that on the way throughout the movie they have these little interludes between uh, Gonzo and Rizzo the rat <laughs> and Gonzo is playing Charles Dickens yeah and they help kind of both explain the story for the younger children watching. Audience, right, yeah. But they're also just there for comedic relief, especially Rizzo the rat. <laughs> yeah. little... Well, I just love, I think Rizzo's the perfect example of how they utilize the the form of the Muppet characters to explain, again, sort of to the children's audience, but also to be very clever to make it accessible for an adult audience. So, like, again, Rizzo is a rat. He's obviously from Brooklyn, yeah. <laughs> New York City. So he has this, Rizzo like... Rizzo the rat! He has this, like... like this! Yeah, yeah, he has kind of this, like, edge to him, and he's always eating. And it's the same with, like, Miss Piggy, you know? Like, yeah. she's she's perfectly cast. And same with, like, for example, the scavengers in the end of the story where, spoilers... The, there's a flash forward and Scrooge gets to see the reaction to his own death and the scavengers in this story are cockroaches and spiders and right I love how they utilize the form of the Muppets to extend the story just that much further yeah and they make it accessible to kids because it is a little scary how Ebenezer oh, yeah. is being haunted I mean 
yeah, that, that speaks for itself. Ebenezer is being haunted by spirits or ghosts or otherworldly figures. Well, and if you've seen the movie, but also if you've read the book, the ghost of the the ghost of Christmas to come, yet to come, is terrifying. Like, I was so scared as a kid. Ah, it's the Grim Reaper. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's so scary. The way that it points yeah. out from under its cloak. Oh, my gosh. I had absolute nightmares about that when I was a kid. But again, even the, the framing device right as that section of the movie, basically like the last third in the movie is starting, Rizzo and Gonzo are like, are you sure that we can show this to kids? We're going to head out for a while. We'll see you at the finale. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like that <laughs> that keeps the tone a little bit lighter, even though there are those really dark moments. Or even, so the first line of the story is the Marleys were dead to begin with. And then in the movie to cut that tension, Rizzo the rat I'm looking at the quote now. It's like, the what? Pardon me? And then Gonsu was like, that's how the story begins. Rizzo, the Marleys were dead to begin with. Dead as a doornail. And he goes, it's a good beginning. Kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And the the antics between the two, I think it really adds a fun dimension to the story to make it move even quicker. Uh, because if it was just Ebenezer's story, it would be fine, like how it is in Charles Dickens' work. But to have this extra element there, it doesn't detract from the story at all. Right. Well, and I think that if they didn't have the humorous cuts, it would have lost some of the depth by trying not to make it scary for children. Because the thing that I love about this story, it kind of makes you think like, what makes this a classic? Like, why has this been read every single year by millions of people since 1843? Yeah. And I think what really makes this special is that it's a story about what Christmas is about, but not about like the birth of Christ. It's it's about being present and being able to enjoy the gift of giving. Yes. So that's kind of like the atheist take of what Christmas is about, what the holiday season is about. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, like it goes to dark places, but because they have these two vehicles in Gonzo and Rizzo, we don't lose that depth. Yeah. And I just love that that's a way of teaching kids. Scrooge learns a lesson, but he has to go to a dark place because he has to sort of be shown where the edge is. Scrooge still has the gift of being able to change his life. Marley in the book, which is a change between the book and the movie, because interestingly, this movie does split characters rather than compress characters into, you know, a single character, which a lot of movies do to like streamline the, the plot. So there are two Marleys in the movie, but anyway, they don't have that luxury anymore. I think Dickens' point is after you die, quote unquote, hell is not being able to participate and make changes to make the world better. And so that's sort of the hell that Marley slash Marley and Marley are now living in. Like they can see what they did, but they can't make any changes. Or more simply, hell is not being remembered at all. It's just like you leave the world and I guess it's a simpler version of what you're saying is that you're not continuing on beyond your physical form and life. But not only not being remembered, they actively made the world worse. Right. And, and that so, and that's that's what's living on is all the negative parts of you. Exactly. Yeah. So they have to watch the world becoming worse due to their actions, but they can't do anything to correct it. Yeah. Scrooge has the luxury of being shown how bad things could be if he dies at the current moment. But his gift 
is that he has the power to make a change. And so I think it's, it's again, like that's a really dark place to take children. Yes. <laughs> but it's a really important thing to teach children because if you don't make those things habits when you're young, you grow into a Scrooge where your habit is to make things habitually worse. Right. And it's a harder change for Scrooge. Like when he sees his gravestone in the end, he's he's at rock bottom. Yes. Like he, he truly thinks that he's going to be dead and there's nothing that he can do about it. But there's this like drive now to be better. And that's, a, again, that's like a harder pill to swallow when you're in your 60s or whenever, you know, Scrooge is. He was probably in his 40s. This is 1843. People died when they were 50. Right. <laughs> but, but these, again, like that's a harder change to make when you're older age. So that's like, I think that's why it's important to teach children these lessons, you know? Yeah, and they soften the metaphor of Marley being chained by his past misdeeds with that song. Uh, well, it's also a musical. That's what elevates the the movie too. Yeah, I I forgot that as well. And I have a funny anecdote about Michael Caine's cut song. Oh, okay. Um, that's uh, that it will say later on in the pod. But yeah, I'd forgot it was a musical. So when we started watching it, it was that was a nice surprise or a reminder that the song. But they add that song with so in the movie it's Marley and Marley, right. correct? Yeah. And who are the the two Muppet characters? They're those old men who sit in the balcony and talk shit. Well, yeah. who, who are they? <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. That's it. Yeah, on the balcony. <laughs> hey, it was. Yeah. That was it. That was short. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, even they I, took advantage of the poor, just ignored the needy. Yeah, these songs are in my DNA. Yeah, <laughs> continue. Yeah, so even as a kid, I got the whole metaphor of the chains, but it, it was freaky in that one man performance. I think this is a nice way to let kids know, hey, they're imprisoned uh, right. by because of how they acted when they were alive. And Marley is quite literally saying, don't follow in my footsteps, change. And then from there, you have the three ghosts that, or the three spirits that haunt them. So a, a very accessible, I mean, this is a classic to begin with. So listening to the short story, I kind of did it while doing other chores. And I kind of let it wash over me just because I was so familiar with it. But there's a reason why this is so classic and so accessible and so familiar and so there this movie is taking what is already beloved a very accessible story and then by having that muppet elements added to it it's recipe for a classic and i think the other muppets movies are well regarded but i think there's a good reason why this is probably at the highest echelon this is most highly regarded because christmas time Okay, it's never been a debate for me. Christmas has always been my favorite holiday. How is it not everyone's favorite holiday? Is it your favorite holiday? Yeah, it used to be Thanksgiving, but honestly, Christmas is just so special. It's just a different feeling. Thanksgiving is number two. Wait, yeah. I love July 4th. I love just Ew, being... really? Yeah, barbecuing. That would you say, ew? Yeah, ew, America. Oh, okay, let's not get into this. So uh, Christmas is number one. It's the happiest time of year. I love giving presents. I love receiving presents. <laughs> I love presents, okay? Let's not beat around the bush here. 
But I think it's more rewarding to give a great gift than to receive one. So that's mm-hmm. what I look forward to every year. Love seeing the fam. I'm happy we could do it this year. It really stunk last year when we had to stay home. But yeah, this Christmas movies, when done well, live on. And you watch them every year. I mean, Die Hard, we watch every year. Elf, Elf. we watch every year. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Jim Carrey version. Yes. Home Alone. Home Love Alone. Christmas Carol. Yes. Those are, th- that's the elite. That's the yeah. elite. How many did we name? Seven? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. The Sexy Seven. <laughs> and I'm happy to now add this to the list. Good. I, it's crazy how we didn't watch this in the first few years when we were dating. I don't know how that. I certainly did, but it probably just had to do with scheduling challenges. Like uh-huh. we were probably working late and and Robin was leaving to go somewhere or something like that. And we just yeah. watched it on our own. I, I remember watching it last year with Robin. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that you had watched it last year with nope. us. But no. All right. But- yeah. Well, another change that I just wanted to mention now is... So in the short story, correct me if I'm wrong, but is the ghost of Christmas past is not a small, like, angelic... <laughs> androgynous. Ghost, like, really creepy little girl Muppet. Yeah, so, yeah, it is a, it's a young boy in the novella. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the pixie fairy that is in this movie freaked the shit out of me when it I was freaked me up. out it's a little as creepy. 27 watching it. However, I kind of love how androgynous the little entity is i don't know i now i've come around to it but i'm not defending how scary and creepy it is especially the voice she's like yeah i'm getting goosebumps here here we go you recognize this place don't you ebenezer yeah (laughs) it's it's a little creepy a change from the story is that in the film the ghost of christmas past claims she can remember nearly uh 1900 years in the past implying that unlike the book and other film versions the spirit is the universal ghost of christmases not just scrooge's personal past sure. like all pasts so that's a i think another change is that in the christmas past you see that scrooge had a very difficult poverty-stricken childhood in the movie i think they lighten it a little bit where yeah. he's just always been this driven little kid and i don't think that that changes too much but i do like that it only goes to show how it it just sort of develops his character as you know he's always been this hard-nosed money maker Mm -hmm. and i love how hard michael Caine goes almost immediately in the story so a quote that i found when Michael Caine was talking to the producer and director Brian Henson, he said, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I'll never do anything Muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role, which he did, and there are no puppets around me. And Henson replied, yes, bang on. Whatever bang on means, I, I think it means cool. But <laughs> Michael Caine does exactly that. He acts as if he's acting with humans and he has complete and utter sincerity. He doesn't feel above this material at all. Right. He'd been wanting to work on previous Muppet movies in the past, but for scheduling, he'd never been able to. Well, it was a huge status symbol. Yeah. The Muppets were huge. And I don't know if the Muppets, even in the 90s, were as huge as they were in the 70s. 
But like they had a variety show. They had a bunch of movies that I'm very familiar with now because, you know, for whatever reason, my parents did introduce me to the Muppets when I was younger. But like they had a variety show where people would come on like Johnny Carson or Mm -hmm. Jimmy Fallon, I guess, is a more modern modern. version of that. (laughs) Yeah. Or Seth Meyers. Like they would they would just have people on their show and what a great opportunity for him to just go so hard yeah and it only makes you love michael kane even more because listen everyone loves michael kane okay yeah. he's alfred right and a bunch of he's other scrooge hello well the, i was getting to that too <laughs> almost immediately you feel really you feel for him and a very complex character that's why mm-hmm. the story also lives on too because you hate him but you also want him to succeed by the end of the story the story kind of moves in a wave, slowly amps up the intensity, but in the movie, as soon as he sees his younger self, he's like, that's me as a younger kid, and yeah. my teacher always was mean to me. And he's like, oh, spirit, oh my God. Yeah, and he's just like crying, change. and I'm like, I'm like, whoa, geez, like, I wasn't expecting this at all. Yeah. And then when he's talking to his the love that uh his wife who died what, what's her name bell bell yes that scene she was... doesn't die she leaves him okay sorry which is key yes yeah yeah leaves him and that was also that that interaction between them was also heartbreaking yeah and then we can talk about now the song that was removed from that do you have any insight into that so yeah, well, I, I just wanted to go back to how well Michael Caine interacts with the Muppets. What I think is beautiful about his performance is that it validates that the Muppets are to be taken seriously. Like, they are there for comic relief, and they're there for to be a vehicle for this deep story. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it intense, but it's a really deep story with important messages for kids and for adults alike. And I think he just gives them the space to speak for themselves rather than them like making it about him you know what i mean like i think that that swap in what you're supposed to take seriously is really important to the story but yeah basically in the book and in the movie scrooge has become so hardened by trying to make money which is understandable to a certain point right up until bell leaves him It's understandable that he's had this really tough childhood where he didn't have food or clothing. What he was rich in when he was younger was like the familial love, right? Because we see that there's a scene in the book, this is not in the movie, but with his sister who, you know, wants him to come home and stop working because the family's ready to celebrate Christmas and he doesn't want to because for him, what he sees is that lack of food and lack of warmth and shelter and stuff. So... We understand up to a point that he's so concerned about not being able to, like, care for Belle and his daughter, too. He also has a daughter in the novella that, you know, we kind of empathize with him and and empathize with his blinding of everything else because he just wants to provide. But then as soon as Belle leaves and he doesn't really go after her, it's like that's kind of when he becomes the Scrooge that we meet in the beginning of the show and novella so there's a song when bell leaves that was on the vhs movie that i used to watch when i was growing up but it was not the it was not in the theatrical cut that premiered in theaters added last minute to the vhs 
gotcha. That's why I'm familiar with it. Yeah. And, and then and then cut again with Blu-ray releases. And, right. And DVD. So, yeah. So the, the DVD actually comes with both cuts. There's right. a theatrical and then the or the VHS option. Yeah. To the home video option, as our generation, I guess, would call it. But so I grew up hearing it. It's definitely the least strongest song in there. Mm-hmm. It's so slow. And I think it's one of those things that it's very clear that she's leaving, even just in the, in the home movie cut, mm-hmm. where it's really emotional. Rizzo is crying. <laughs> and she walks away right after they have this conversation about like, I love you, Belle. And she goes, you did once. And then she walks away. It kills the momentum of the movie to have that really slow song when it's like we already get that she's not emotionally Mm -hmm. linked to him anymore. So I love that they cut it. I love that I have the option to skip it. It's just, it just kills the momentum of the movie. So is it all sung by Belle or does Michael Caine sing? Yeah, it's all sung by her. And she's just kind of like walking around in a circle and sitting down and like, it's just very slow, yeah. and I think we get the point, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't really add anything for me, so I'm glad that they released the theatrical version. Right. Yeah. But honestly, good for her. It probably was not very easy to leave your man in 1843, so but good for Belle. Yeah. Like, honestly, I'm in her, I'm on her side. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is, but it is a little, it's interesting that he has, like, a daughter in the novella that he can't interact with anymore. She's kind of cut him off right. from, the, yeah. from the family. But again, I think just to streamline the story, he doesn't have a daughter. He does have his nephew, which I, I love his character with the nephew and then his wife. Yeah. And the Christmas party that Scrooge gets to observe when he's with Christmas present. I guess we can move on to Christmas present, who is so jolly, such a fantastic character in the movie. And also very similar to his character in the novella. That scene at the Christmas party is so wonderful. And you know what I really love too is that that 20 questions game that they play in the movie where it's so sad to watch Scrooge kind of see what other people think of him because the 20 questions results in basically him realizing that everyone hates him. Yeah. But I love that that 20 questions game is also in the novella. Yeah. I love that. Kind of that link to our past, like the 1843 past, where they were playing 20 questions. I guess asking questions has been around for a while. (laughs) I just assumed it was a modern or slightly modern game. I didn't realize that in in the 1800s. Yeah, I just think it's it's a fun thing to watch them play together. It's, It's such a jovial thing. And then to have the climax be this absolute trashing of scrooge is so heartbreaking that's probably one of the saddest scenes in the movie and the novella yeah i was really taken by his nephew fred uh, played by stephen mcintosh yeah a a human Um, he's in lock stock and two smoking barrels my favorite guy Ritchie film Hmm. it's one of my favorite it's in my top 100 films i love Love that film. He's also in Underworld. Shout out to my brother, Tim. We, we love those movies, but he champions those movies. So yeah, Stephen McIntosh, shout out to you. He's got, a, he's got a great line in the beginning where he comes and he goes, uh, Scrooge is like, why ever on earth did you get married? And he's like, well, uncle, I fell in love. Yeah, and then Scrooge goes, that's the only thing in the world sillier than a Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. He's great. Yeah. Humbug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that whole, yeah, Christmas present, I, I like that a lot. And it 
it's a perfect visualization of the fleeting nature of the present you know of how he starts out young the spirit starts out young and by the end of the day he's fading away his gray hair and fades into nothing it's a sad little poignant moment yeah and makes sense for kids you can kind of see like oh you need to live in the moment because before you know it the day is over right and you're in the future with the grim reaper with the grim reaper <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's a dark climax right there yes. and i love the intensity in which they reveal that scrooge's name is on the tombstone it, they don't shy away from that intensity and i just love it it's yeah <laughs> scrooge is being such an idiot he's just like wait a second Who's, whose name is on the grave? And you're like, well, it's... he's uh- not being an idiot. He's in <laughs> denial because yes. he's, he's now... This is what I wrote down. So the Marley ghosts are damned to see things that they no longer have the power to change. Scrooge gets that glimpse, but can change things. Mm-hmm. But he's not aware that he's not dead right now. Yes. That's what's so... I think that's why he's in such deep denial because he gets that glimpse and then he goes oh my God, I need to change now. Yeah. And then when he sees that there's a gravestone, he's like, oh shit, can I not change? Right? I, I think that's why, I know he, it's, it is a little silly, but... Yeah, I was more joking. I mean, it, it, you have a, a great point. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's poignant. It's really scary. There's a, I don't know if anybody's watched or read A Prayer for Owen Meany, but there's a similar reveal where they're in a Christmas story play, these two kids that are the main characters, and Owen Meany plays scrooge and there's like a climax where he sees the gravestones it's a good book go read that it's a really good book can we just talk about all the different influences of this story because i have watched multiple shows different sitcoms that have a christmas carol episode oh sure one that comes to mind is that 70s show um not a great show in in hindsight i tried watching it recently but when i was growing up it was very funny to us then and the, yeah so eric foreman has a whole episode there yeah it's like the ghost of christmas weed or something like that oh, <laughs> it's super, so super super funny but a bunch of shows have yeah. this format or you know sitcoms especially have this family matters as a christmas girl well, scrooge episode. is in the common vernacular we yeah. say oh you're being such a scrooge don't be such a scrooge humbug common vernacular yeah was humbug did Charles Dickens come up with that? Oh, Do you know? That's such a good. That is such a good question. Thank you. I, I don't know the answer to it. So, but I mean, even though he didn't invent the word, it certainly brought it to prominence in oh, yeah. vernacular. Yeah. Common English <laughs> vernacular yeah. for sure. The movie Scrooged. Yes. Scrooged is a verb. Yeah. And a, so many and an adjective. So many. Scrooge, yeah. Direct adaptations, but also loose adaptations. There was a brief period where robert zemeckis in the 2000s was creating these motion capture movies like the polar express and then he did an adaptation of the christmas carol he also did beowulf but the thing was he was too early with the technology so all these films look super ugly there's the uncanny valley with the faces so especially the polar express i mean a beautiful visually but when you see when the kids are talking you're like that's horrifying but yeah robert zemeckis tried to do this nutso adaptation oh to, jim carrey with jim carrey oh i totally forgot about that yeah it's it's off the walls i haven't even watched the whole thing i caught it on tv one year and i'm like this is not it the, the, the christmas carol okay i understand a muppet adaptation but don't do this like 
super wild CGI motion capture movie. Well, we've talked about this before. The heart leaves that kind of production. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with something like Wallace and Gromit, which I also grew up with. And it's so charming to see fingerprints in those films because the whole point is how much effort is poured into those characters yes. and those storylines and the effort that goes into all of that mechanical work to get those facial expressions across, right? Gromit doesn't even talk and yeah. we understand what he's saying. To me, that's why I value the Muppets because I think that there's so much heart that goes into the puppetry if you see any of the it, yeah, it's real flesh and blood, you know, yeah, moving these right, yeah, and puppets. and and the Muppets have this legacy of being so funny and so heartwarming and joyful and honestly, I mean, satirical, and because they don't take themselves too seriously, like that's something that I think is the slight difference between like the Sesame Street characters versus the Muppets. The Muppets are very self-aware and kind of like meta. And I think that's another reason the Muppets are such a perfect vehicle for this story in particular, because Charles Dickens, I think is like a proto meta writer. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he, the narrator comments on himself. And in fact, the narrator in the novella is not omniscient. There are a couple moments when the narrator says stuff like, I don't know how long. There's another moment, which I think is so sweet. One of my favorite moments is when the narrator is describing the Fozzywigs. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how wonderful their relationship is. And it goes, if that's not high praise, give me higher and I'll use it. Yeah. Right? So it he doesn't take himself that seriously. So mm -hmm. again, I think that pairing of the Muppets being so self-aware that like Kermit the Frog has a song called It's Not Easy Being Green. Like that's the kind of humor, the tone that I think complements Dickens' writing so perfectly. Yeah. And you'd mentioned the Fozzie wig. So in the <laughs> movie, there's that great quote where the Fozzie wig says, at this time in the proceedings, it is a tradition for me to make a little speech. And Jacob Marley says, and it's a tradition for us to take a little nap. <laughs> yeah, and that's also, they follow that up. He says something like, Merry Christmas. And then the Marleys, assuming that they're going to like rip him to shreds, are like, that was terrible. And then they end up coming around. They're like, that was short. We loved it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I quoted earlier. It's just so funny. Yeah. And to see, yeah, because the Muppets, to have them be real, tangible things, it will always last longer than CGI. I'm not saying CGI is inherently bad. It can enhance movies tenfold. Mm -hmm. You know, we wouldn't have... Not everybody has the budget to run a plane into a real building at Christopher Nolan. Right. Well, speaking <laughs> of Christopher Nolan, he used mostly practical effects and something like Inception, but he used CGI not as a crutch, but to enhance scenes. Like he can't, you can't fold London in, in real life right. or Paris, I think it was, but he, he does that in the movie. But the movie is not so CGI where it's, it's distracting, like the new Spider-Man movie, for instance. I'm going to go on a whole rant about that. Yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone loves that movie. I didn't. I think it looks terrible. Anyways, back to the Muppets. This will always live on. It'll always be accessible, always be fun, always be impressive. There's nothing more impressive, too, than the full body shots of Muppets. Oh, yeah. Like Kermit uh, walking down the street. <laughs> it, That's it, what I was singing in the beginning of yeah. the episode. To the season, to be jolly and joyous. 
Paola. Yeah, and then they have that full wide shot, and it's just the little tiny, little lanky it's legs. <laughs> and then him looking up in a shooting star going across uh, the sky. And Beautiful. The, the ice skating scene with the penguins. It's the it's the annual penguin Christmas skating party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's just it's just so fun. And even in that scene where he has Tiny Tim on his shoulders and they're singing that Christmas carol, you can actually see how they filmed that. There's a drum that's turning under their feet to make it look like they're moving forward, but it's just spinning. Mm -hmm. And even that, as an adult, seeing the mechanics of how they get those body shots. Can you see the sticks moving their hands sometimes? Yes. But yeah. can you see can you tell that somebody's fingers are in kermit's head obviously yeah. yes but it's just so fun it just it almost feels like you're on the team when you can see yes, those like exact. how it works practical effects always invite the viewer mm -hmm. in they always draw people in and cgi no matter how far it's advancing i mean it's incredible how far cgi well, you work gone. in a studio that's like on the cutting edge of this kind right. of technology. But like for someone like me, one of the reasons that I started sculpting as a kid with with plasticine was because I saw Wallace and Gromit and I said, I can do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and you can't you can't do that without the kind of CGI um, unless you really get into it. Yeah. yeah. You're, it's not as accessible to someone like me who just decide that you know it inspired me to be creative so i just think that that kind of effort is a different yes approach that it's just there's something special about another it. example yoda in the original yeah. trilogy and the prequels so in yep. the original trilogy puppet yeah and he feels like an actual real character and then in the prequels he's a little cgi little green monster flipping around bouncing off walls and you're like is what is this and even if the cgi is good even if you don't have that uncanny valley feeling you know that those actors are not interacting with anything yes. real and i think like that's the heart that gets kind of taken out mm -hmm, exactly and this and you can tell this movie will always have heart and yeah. it'll, it'll always have that impressive angle um and fun angle yeah. so yeah i don't have too much more to say honestly i think i'm looking at my notes of more changes between the source material and the movie so in the novel the cratchit family did not have a daughter named bettina right that <laughs> well this that is, was made for the film this is another example of how they actually split characters which i think is not very common i think it's really fun to see characters so marley and marley are split because they uh -huh. had those two characters that were original to the muppets and without one of them you wouldn't have been able to get that funny play between the two of them i think you get the same effect with another example that i pulled out was the rats that are all employees of Scrooge, which is almost ironic because he's all about cutting corners. So it's like they has this massive yeah. like workforce of rats. One of my favorite parts is when they ask for more coal for the fire and he goes like, how is it gonna feel when you're on the on the unemployment list? And they're like, heat wave, this is my island in the sun. <laughs> so that's fun because we get that interaction between them and Bob Cratchit, whereas Bob Cratchit is just the singular employee of Scrooge in the novella. Right. And right. and like you said, Bettina and the other daughter, I don't remember, I think it's another B name, but they, they're so funny together because they like parrot Miss, Mrs. Piggy's or Miss Piggy's yeah. character as the mother. So like one of my other 
favorite lines that I quote with my brother all the time is when she goes, let him have a very happy Merry Christmas. I have no doubt. And then they go, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I, okay. So I heard Laura and Robin say no doubt for th- four years. And I had no idea. What, I'm like, I guess that's a little quirk of the ceilings. But then watching the movie, I'm like, that's where it's from. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. Usually, usually we'll do a call and response sort of thing where Robin will say like, no doubt. And I'll say, no doubt. I can't tell you how uh, it's just so, uh, to finally know where that came from. Yeah. Another thing that my mom always likes to point out is, again, this is just a function of Rizzo being a rat constantly looking for food throughout the whole movie. The situational humor is when they're trying to look in and oh my gosh, this is just another like brilliant layer that I didn't think of. So the narrator is not omniscient, as we've talked about in the novella. Mm hmm. Neither really is Gonzo. Oh yeah, as they're the narrator. along for the ride. Yeah. yeah, and honestly, there is one line where he says, "Like, what do you think? I'm omniscient or something? Like, I'm I don't know everything." And it's so funny because Gonzo and Rizzo spend a lot of their time on screen trying to get into a room so that Gonzo as Charles Dickens can show Rizzo what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so one of those situations is when they're looking into the chimney of the Cratchit home and it smells like a goose because they're cooking a goose dinner and Rizzo falls through the chimney and lands and he's like, at least I landed on something soft and hot. And he like, oh, hot. And he's like hopping between feet and he burns the bottom of his feet. That's something that my mom has told me like every single time we watch it. She's like, we had to rewind that so many times so that you could watch it. You're yeah. laughing so hard. Or she she also said you needed to rewind it during that scene with the fence and how they jump over the fence. And, and uh, Rizzo is like, here it goes. And he oh. falls on his face. He's like, oh, I forgot my jelly beans and goes through the bars. And Gonzo's <laughs> like, you can go through the bars the whole time. Yeah. yeah so... Anyway, yeah, it's just the situational humor is so brilliant. They literally pulled out the moments when the narrator admits that they're not omniscient. And they gave that to Gonzo. Just so smart. Yeah. And shout out to composer Miles Goodman for the music oh, for yeah. the film. Yeah. Fantastic. S- the overture alone is a banger, like a classic Christmas banger. The only thing I had left was, did you notice the crossover film that I want to bring up? Crossover of the Century? What, what? You had mentioned it before. I forgot. What it's, was it? There's a lighthouse scene. And I'm the lighthouse thinking that... <laughs> starring Robert Pattinson? And, Wait, and Willem Dafoe? And Willem Dafoe. I'm thinking that there's a crossover here. I think it's a queer crossover. Wait a second. <laughs> because there's literally a lighthouse scene where there are two men who are taking care of the lighthouse and they're having like this crazy like fever dream. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm like doing the mental math and I'm like- Do you think Robert Edgers was inspired by Muppet Christmas Carol? I think, I think he was. <laughs> and also there's a line, there's a line uh, about someone's brother and it, the line the line in the book is, and her brother's particular friend, the milkman. I think there's a queer spinoff there. I think we need to write a movie about the queer milkman and the brother. Yeah. And then you also said queer subtext with the lighthouse. There definitely is that. Although during the Q&A with Willem Dafoe after we saw the lighthouse, someone asked about that. Willem Dafoe was just like, oh, I I mean, that's how you're reading it. I didn't get that at all. (laughs) 
So uh, I don't think that was the intention of it, but it, it oh, is. Oh, but a, it's there. It's it's there. It's a byproduct <laughs> of the, his chemistry with Robert Pattinson. I mean, I'm sorry, but who wouldn't have chemistry with either one of those fellow men? Can't wait for the Batman with Robert Pattinson. My goodness, that's gonna be incredible. And I will say, even though I didn't like Spider-Man, the new one, uh, Willem Dafoe, easily the best part of it. He's having a renaissance right now and incredible michael kane is also in batman (gasps) whoa another crossover crossover city although with robert pattinson batman it's not canon anymore it's a new batman anyways (laughs) andy circus is going to be the new uh, alfred oh that's cool all right all right well i don't have too much more to say other than nor do i if you haven't seen this Put it on your list because it is an absolute Christmas classic. Obviously, I'm very emotionally attached to this. And so I don't know how anyone could not get attached to this. Yes, totally agreed. Watching it only once is now cemented as a classic in my life. I can't wait to watch it again next year. Can't wait to show it to our kids. To our kids. All eight of them uh, that we're planning. No. Um, all boys. No. And I cannot wait to do my Michael Caine impression again because I feel like I'm, I'm pretty solid. I'm pretty solid on it. Yeah. I, I, I needed to add it a couple more times. Okay. Hear, I was going to say you want to hear my Kermit the, the Frog. <laughs> yeah, do it. You're you're good at it too. Ma. That's when he's ice skating. <laughs> I mean, that is spot on. It's just funny that you chose that instead of a line. You just chose him going, ah. If you watch the movie, you'll know how good that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It, it It's perfect, but it's just funny how that's what you picked. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, the sh- it's kind of hard to rate the story because it's such a it is the christmas classic in terms of literature i mean does anything surpass it in terms of no and and charles dickens is such a smart writer yeah it's, it's it, a four out of four yeah and the movie obviously four out of four as well well yeah this has been a great start to 2022 uh, any new year's resolutions yeah i i want to read more I was shocked at how... I Well, hey, that that's a great resolution. You read 59 books in 52 weeks last year. Uh, I mean, that's... Approximately. But that that's like a lot. That's, you know, one point, I don't know, something books a week. Like one book a week is really impressive. Well, thanks. But yeah, I want to read more and I want to diversify my, my uh, pool of authors and uh-huh. topics and stuff like that, so... That's nice. kind of a bland one. I feel like I no, I, I think that's, that's solid. How about you? I want to lose 35 pounds. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, I'm not setting a, but a, toothpick. a weight goal, but, you know, to exercise more. Also, I want to write more letters to people. I, I feel like I don't do that enough. And whenever I receive a letter from someone, it's, it makes my month so... I want to do that more. I need to be a better texter as well. I don't really like texting, but I feel like I could be a better texter to people who text me. It's the least I could do. All right, and we've got a great second half of season coming up for y'all. We'll see you next week for a tragedy, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, the new one that just came out starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, directed by Joel Cohen. That's going to be a doozy of an episode. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah. And yeah, 
And then after that will be Jackie Brown. Uh, Rum Punch. Yeah, right. Yeah, adapted from Rum Punch. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Please rate and review. Follow us if you haven't already. And we are recording this on Laura's birthday. Happy 28th. It's all about me. Laura. So, yeah, if you're listening, you follow us on Instagram. Please wish (laughs) Laura a happy birthday. Laura. Yes. We love you. I love you. Thank you so much for showing me this movie. It was (laughs) wonderful. And, yeah, let's go. Here's to a... Happy and healthy 2022. Amen to that. Get vaccinated. All right. We'll see you on the next one.